Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14, from the English Standard Version. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth among them and the blind, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands from away, far away, Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flocks. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice and dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. I will give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied and my goodness, <laughs> with my goodness, declares the Lord. For many people, because of the news or movies or whatever, the country of Honduras represents things like gang violence or poverty or illegal immigration. But for me, the country of Honduras represents something very different. For me, the country of Honduras represents home. The summer after my freshman year of college, I got to do a two-month-long summer internship with an organization called Mission Lazarus. Mission Lazarus is located in uh, southern Honduras, in, in the green mountains of southern Honduras, uh, specifically uh, in a town called Hayakayan, which is a lot of fun to say, by the way. At that point in my life, uh, except for the first six months of my life, which, surprise, surprise, I don't have a ton of memories from, Except for those first six months of my life, I had only ever lived one place, and that was Auburn, Alabama. So after doing this two-month internship in Honduras, Honduras felt like a second home to me. Because other than Auburn, I had never lived another place other than Honduras longer. 
I still feel today that Honduras is a second home to me. In fact, I, I feel that way so strongly that when I hear the word home, some of the first images that come to my imagination are images of Mission Lazarus. More specifically, I can see myself walking up the road to the Mission Lazarus property. I can see myself turn off of the paved Pan-American Highway onto the gray dirt road that leads up into the hills. In the summer, those hills are an electric green. They're all the greener at the horizon where the green meets the rich blue of the sky and the crisp white of the clouds. And if you're lucky, you will be there in the summer when these trees, uh, whose name I don't know, drop these red petals on the edge of the road. I can see myself walking up that dirt road, up and up into the green hills, past a cow pasture on my left, past a guard's hut on my right, up and up into the hills. Until finally, straight in front of me, is the red roof of the Posada. This is my destination. In the United States, we would probably just call the Posada an open-air pavilion. But the Posada is the dining hall and living room of Mission Lazarus. It's about 30 yards long. It's about 15 yards across. At the far end is a stone fireplace and a hammock. And off the right side, you can see down into the valley below. The Posada is where I had some of the best conversations I've ever had. It's where I've laughed some of the hardest I've ever laughed. And it's where I ate the best bean dip that I will ever eat in my life. Period. And so to imagine myself walking up this hill and to finally see the Posada before me and hear the sounds of singing and laughter and to smell dinner being prepared, to imagine all of this is to imagine coming home. What about for you? What sounds, what images, what smells spring to your imagination when you hear the word home? Once again, good morning and happy new year. My name is Michael Waldrop. I am the student minister here at Round Rock Church of Christ. And uh, I just want to reiterate what was said earlier. Uh, if you are a guest with us, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and to kind of go off uh, my theme of the theme of my sermon this morning, uh, I just want to say welcome home. That's a phrase we use a lot around here. Uh, we, th this congregation sees itself as a family. Uh, and so I hope uh, that this morning you have felt uh, welcomed in uh, to that family. Now, before we dig more into the uh, theme of home, uh, I would love to pray. And so if you would, uh, pray with me. Triune God, would you give all of us attention to hear clearly what you are saying to us? 
Would you give us humility to admit that there are areas in which we need to grow? And would you give us courage to be transformed in the ways you desire to transform us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all honor and all glory is yours, now and forever. Amen. Now, I've already asked you to use your imagination uh, once this morning, and I'm going to continue to ask you to use it. So a moment ago, uh, I asked what uh, images, what places might spring to your mind uh, when you think of home. And I would imagine that there's, uh, for a number of you, some of the images that spring to mind uh, are this city, the city of Round Rock. And so I would like you to imagine that the city of Round Rock has been surrounded by the most powerful military in the world. And a group of local soldiers has managed to keep this invading army at bay, out of the city. But there is no getting out of Round Rock, and there is also no way for food to get in. And so, eventually, all of the food that is was in the H-E-Bs and Sprouts and Randalls and Wagabags and whatever else, is all but gone. And you don't know how you or your family are going to eat. Panic has set in across the city, and every single day, you hear stories of desperate people doing terrible things. This is the situation of the city of Jerusalem, in 587 BC. Jerusalem is surrounded by the most powerful military in the known world, the military of Babylon. And it's been this way for the last two years, and food is all but gone. And some people are so desperate, they have even reverted to cannibalism. Well, finally, Jerusalem falls. And as Jerusalem falls, the Babylonian army invades Jerusalem, destroys it. And unthinkably for a Jew, in that destruction, the Babylonian army also destroys the temple. Again, this is unthinkable for a Jew. This, the temple is the very place that the God of heaven and earth is supposed to dwell. How can it be destroyed? After this destruction, the Babylonians go on to take captive a large portion of Jerusalem's population, and they lead those Israelites into exile in far-off Babylon. It is somewhere in the middle of all of that panic and hunger and fear of exile that the passage that we now call Jeremiah 31 was first heard. If you have your Bible, uh, I invite you to go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 31. Uh, Jeremiah is a book in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. It is uh, right after the book of Isaiah and right before the book of Lamentations. Uh, and as you would imagine, the book of Jeremiah is all about the prophet Jeremiah. Now, for the passage that uh, we're going to focus on today for Jeremiah 31, it's not exactly clear when Jeremiah first prophesied these words. But it's either right after the Israelites are taken into exile or right before Jerusalem falls when exile is imminent. 
Either way, exile is front of mind for the Israelites. They are very aware that it is uh, happening or about to happen. And into the hopelessness of that moment, as we just heard Renee read a few moments ago, God, through Jeremiah, tells the Israelites that even though they are going away into exile, he will bring them out of exile back home. He says that, in fact, he will bring them back as a great multitude, including most vulnerable among them, the blind, those who can't even walk, those who are pregnant. He will bring all of them back out of exile in this great multitude. And then God says this in verse 12. They, that, that is the Israelites, shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. Uh, Zion is just uh, another word for the city of Jerusalem. Uh, sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock, so the sheep, and, and uh, over the young of the flock and the herd, so cattle. Uh, in other words, there's going to be a whole lot of really good food. <laughs> and their life shall be like a watered garden. And they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance. And the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied, fulfilled with my goodness, declares the Lord. Can you see this picture? This, this image, this massive parade of former exiles making their way back into Jerusalem, singing and dancing and feasting and celebrating what God has done for them. These verses are God's promise to the Israelites in, in, a, in a dark and bleak moment. These verses are God's promise to the Israelites that he will bring them out of exile. And in fact, that is exactly what God does. Fifty years later, after the Israelites are exiled to Babylon, the country of Persia will overthrow Babylon. And Persia's king, a guy named Cyrus, citing as, uh, citing, uh, the God of Israel as, as motivation for this decision, issues a decree saying that, that the Jews are free to go home. And so they do. The Jews return from exile, go back to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple. Now the story of Jeremiah 31, as a promise of return from exile could, could end right there. That we could, we could just end the sermon right there. But Jeremiah 31 turns out to not just be good news for one exile, but for two exiles. If you pick up back with me again in Jeremiah 31, uh, we left off at verse 14. God uh, has just said that he will uh, turn the Israelites' mourning into joy, that uh, the Israelites will be satisfied with his goodness. But then it's, it's a quick jump from the great joy of verse 14 uh, to the desperate sadness of verse 15. Because verse 15 says this, 
Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, a couple just quick notes about this passage. First, uh, this city, Ramah, is a city that's just a few miles north of Jerusalem. And importantly, it would have been along the road that the Israelite exiles would have passed as, as Babylon was leading them off into exile. So that, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is this name, Rachel. So Rachel was one of the wives of uh, a man named Jacob. Jacob was one of the forefathers of the country of Israel. And so Rachel sort of acts as this symbolic mother for, for all of the Israelites. It, it's, it's almost kind of like, you could say like Martha Washington, George Washington's wife is like a symbolic mother for, for all Americans. It's a little bit different, but that's the idea, right? So Rachel, this symbolic mother of Israel, in this gut-wrenching verse is pictured as weeping for her children as they are led away into exile. But exile isn't the last word in this passage. You see, verse 15, this verse is just the first verse in another example that God is giving of how God will bring the Israelites out of exile back home. In the following verses, specifically 16 through 20, if you want to read them, God tells Rachel, look, there's no need for you to cry out. There's no need for your eyes to be filled with tears because I'm going to bring your children back from a foreign land. God yearns for his child Israel. And for that reason, he will have mercy on Israel and will bring them back home. And this is where Jeremiah 31 being good news for a second exile comes in. And this is, this is so cool to me. Y'all, ch ch check this out. I think this is so neat. Some of you may know that verse 15, the verse about Rachel weeping over her children, uh, is used later on in the Bible. Specifically, it is used in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew uh, is a New Testament book. Uh, it's one of the books that tells us the story of Jesus' life. And in Matthew 2, we find Jesus as an infant, living in the town of Bethlehem with his adopted father Joseph and his mother Mary. Well, about six miles away in Jerusalem is the king of the Jews, a man named Herod. Well, in this chapter, Herod is alerted that a baby has been born in Bethlehem, who is supposedly the true king of the Jews, not Herod but this little baby. And so Herod, presumably seeing this child as a threat to him, sends soldiers to Bethlehem, and sadly, those soldiers kill every baby boy two years old or younger. Jesus' story would have ended right there in Bethlehem if it was not for an angel who warns Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, that these soldiers are on the way. And that warning gives Jesus and Joseph and Mary time to flee Bethlehem and escape into the nearby country of Egypt. And then, right after describing the murder of the male infants in Bethlehem, 
Jeremiah 31 comes in. Matthew writes this. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Apparently, Matthew saw a connection between this moment in the life of Jesus, namely, when these, all these babies are murdered and Jesus and his family have to flee as refugees to Egypt. Matthew sees a connection between that moment and, and the, the, the moment uh, the, in the life of Israel that Jer- Jeremiah was originally speaking into, namely when uh, the Israelites are exiled to Babylon. And the connection that Matthew sees that unites those two passages is an experience of destruction and exile and eventually a return home. For just as the Babylonian army's attack on Jerusalem leads to the Israelites being exiled in the foreign land of Babylon, so too the attack on the male infants in Bethlehem by Herod leads Jesus and his family into a type of exile in the foreign land of Egypt. And for both of these moments, Rachel weeps. But, as we just saw, Jeremiah 31 does not end with Rachel weeping. And just as the Jews are brought back out of exile after Persia overthrows Babylon and the Israelites return home. In the same way, Jesus and his family return to Israel after Herod dies. In both situations, they come back home. I had always assumed when I read Matthew 2 that in Matthew, including this verse from Jeremiah, what was just an expression of the sadness of this moment. And it certainly is that. But a closer familiarity with the passage in Jeremiah 31 shows us that Matthew, including this verse at this moment, is also a declaration of hope in the darkest of times. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, Jeremiah 31 is all about God's renewal of the covenant, bringing Israel back from exile at last. Though Israel must weep and mourn, rescue is on the way. By referencing Jeremiah 31, Matthew is hinting that Jesus is bringing deliverance, even when everything seems bleak and hopeless. I know I've thrown a lot at you uh, this morning, right? We've covered like two time periods, like three or four different countries, like 20 characters. It's like we're reading a 900-page Russian novel or something. Um, But from all of this, what I want you to hear this morning is this. God has brought, God is bringing, and God will bring his people out of exile and back to their home. 
God has brought, God is bringing, and God will bring his people out of exile and back to their home. I know that that statement has been true in so many lives in this room. So many of us can tell stories of what it's like to experience exile or displacement or lostness or foreign territory in our lives, whether it was caused by our own decisions or something completely out of our control. But we can also tell you how God brought us back home. Stories of God bringing us friendship in cities where we knew no one. Stories of God bringing us sobriety when we were lost in addiction. Stories of God bringing us health when we encountered sickness. Stories of God bringing us back children after those children had wandered away. God has brought, God is bringing, and God will bring his people out of exile and back to their home. But at this point, I, I can't blame you if you would say, you know, Michael, that, that sounds great. That's, that sounds really nice. But what about all the stories in this room that don't end with a happy ending? What about all the stories in this room where friendship or sobriety or health or children never returned? What about when exile seems to get the last word? I mean, what about all the Jews in Babylon who never got to come back to Jerusalem? They died in Babylon. Or what about all the babies in Bethlehem? Where was return home for them? Where was hope for their parents? And while we're at it, I mean, the temple that the Jews rebuilt after they came back from exile, 600 years later, in 70 A.D., the Romans come into Jerusalem, and just like Babylon before, him, before them, they wipe out the temple. You can go to Jerusalem today. It is no longer there. What about when exile gets the last word? What about when exile is permanent? You know, we could ask the same question of Jesus' story. For even though... Jesus, as an infant, escapes Herod. As an adult, he will be arrested, in part by Herod's son, also named Herod. And this time, Jesus will not escape Herod. For Herod and corrupt, the corrupt religious leaders of Israel will have Jesus crucified. And in doing so, they assumed that they had sent Jesus into a permanent exile. They assumed that they had destroyed the temple that was, that was his body forever. They assumed that they got the last word. But God loved his firstborn son. And he raised the temple of Jesus' body, never to be destroyed again. He brought Jesus back from exile in death. And in doing so, he declared, I get the last word. Not exile, not death, not sin, 
not hypocritical religious leaders or the Herods of the world, not massacres or addiction or sickness or loneliness. I get the last word, and I will bring my people home. I'm not going to claim that in this life, God always restores his people from exile. We know he doesn't. He let his son die on a cross. He let John the Baptist be beheaded. But the claim of the church has always been that just as God resurrected Jesus, God will restore his people from every form of exile. If not in this life, then in the life to come. To borrow a phrase from Charles Seibert, in Christ, the worst things are never the last things. In Christ, the worst things are never the last things. And perhaps that is nowhere clearer than in the second to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. Uh, if you've never read Revelation 21, you definitely should. It's awesome. Uh, probably one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And in Revelation 21, we read uh, God's promise that one day his people will ultimately return to their truest home, a new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth. And there we read that God's dwelling place, God's tabernacle, God's temple, God's home will be among the people, and he will dwell with them. God has brought, God is bringing, and God will bring his people out of exile back to their home. Would you pray with me? God who restores would you send out your light to illuminate that can overwhelm us? Would you send out your truth to protect us from the lies that might lead us astray? And God, would you bring us to your holy hill and dwelling? Bring us home, God. Amen.